judge God. But you never make a judgment. You may never make any of those opinions. One, two, there we go. While we're waiting for the cordless. I am honored and, and blessed to be with you this weekend. Um, it's been a, it's a God thing, it's a God-ordained time together. Amen. Thank you so much, my brother. Let me see if I can get myself wired up. I know it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's ordained of God was just uh, the degree of difficulty I've been um, se- spending a season of praying and, and, and seeking the Lord with some of the members of my team and members of my family and, um, and, and I was supposed to have come in on Thursday I'm sure you all know uh, we were supposed to meet at the church on Thursday and uh, have a little session together well um, Thursday as I was about to make my way to the airport I looked around for my, for my wallet For the Lord, so I I was wondering where, where in the world could it be? I could not find my wallet, could not find my ID. Uh, looked everywhere. The only other place I'd been was I went shopping to Walmart because I didn't want to do any grocery shopping when I came back on Monday. I'm arriving late uh, Sunday night, early Monday morning. I just wanted to be still before the Lord. I went to shop, came back, so my wallet is still missing, and uh, I had to get to the airport and come out all the way out here without an ID. Amen. Uh, talking to Reggie, I felt the Lord saying, "Just go ahead." Talk to TSA and let them know. And I came right through without a problem. I'm an African, so you know they, there's extra scrutiny for people like me. Amen. And any black and brown people know this. But by God's grace, when I got to the airport yesterday, the most pleasant TSA guy you've ever met in your life took me aside and with, with no time at all. In fact, I moved faster than the people that were in line. Um, I had gone all, all the way through without an ID. That's why I'm here. You know, this weekend almost did not happen. Amen. But I believe that the Lord had a purpose for, for you and I spending this time together. And I'm praying that you may, you may uh, listen with, eye, with ears and eyes that are seeking to f- see what God is trying to say to you. Anytime that the Lord speaks to you, according to uh, what, what we learned in Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 2, the prophet says this. He says, I shall, let's go there. I want to show you something. Habakkuk chapter 2. Stand there real quick. Are we doing okay this morning? If you're you're there, say amen. (laughs) You guys got there faster than I did. Habakkuk chapter 2. Here's what the prophet says. Now when you read verse, uh, you know, uh, chapter 1, you see that this is is a prophet that is seeking after the face of God. Uh, He's got some questions that he's posing before the Lord. Um, you know, questions of, Lord, why this and why is this happening? Why has this not come to pass? When you look at the life of, you know, Haggai, Habakkuk, and these prophets, they were raised by God to encourage the people of God to finish what they had started um, in, in reestablishing the house of God. Now, here's what the Lord then says, um, what Habakkuk says that is teaching us a lesson. He says, I'll stand my watch and set myself on the rampart. A rampart is an elevated place. So he says, I'll stand my watch. And I'll set myself on a rampart or in an elevated place 
so that I might what? That I might, I will look to see what he is saying to me. Okay, there's a bit of a play on words there. So the prophet is saying this, I'm going to set my watch. Amen. He's not saying I'm setting my hearing. He's saying I'm setting my watch. He's look out. Right? And I'll, you know, I'll set myself on the ramparts and I will look to see what he says to me. Is, and now notice what the Lord then says as we go on uh, further. Um, he says this. Uh, let's go to the next verse. And the Lord replied and said, write the vision. Wait a minute. So the prophet is saying, I want into something that the prophet sees. It's not enough that God has said it. You have got to also see it. So that's why he says, now the Lord did not say write the prophecy. He says write the vision and make it plain. That means that the Lord when he speaks, what he says must become a picture in our mind. We must see what God is saying. Because when we see what God is saying, that which he has given us becomes more than a prophecy. It becomes what? A vision. And last night we are talking about the importance of a vision. So that's why the Lord would visit, you know, um, whether it was Abraham, you know, the word of the Lord would come to him in a vision. That's what, uh, you know, Genesis chapter 12 says. And the word of the Lord came to uh, Abraham in a vision saying, get out of your father's house. Wait a minute. How does the word come in a vision? I thought visual is one thing, auditory is another. But the Lord would speak his word and the man of God would see the picture of what God says. And then he'll begin to walk toward what he sees. Amen. That's the power of vision. My brother, I'm going to use the handheld here, if you don't mind, because this thing is going to keep falling. I'm just going to... We're good. So the important thing, again, is this. Is it's not enough to just say, oh, I heard what God said. What, what picture has it created? The one thing that humanity has that no other species has is the power of what is called the imagination. The imagination is the ability to see with your eyes closed. And God wants to impact your imagination. And guess what? The devil also wants to impact your imagination. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4 says what? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. What does it do? It what? It dismantles vain imaginations and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. Because right now, most of us, whatever is the image in our mind, that's the image that either pulls us into a place of faith or pulls us into a place of, of no faith and disbelief. The image in our mind. So when the Lord speaks, he wants you to see it. To see it with clarity. The Lord Jesus Christ in, said in Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He was quoting the book of Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Let's turn, let's, let's turn Luke chapter um, six, uh, rather 4 and 18. Are we doing okay? This is important. Because part of the reason why I'm saying this, part of the reason why the Lord, the, the enemy rather, keeps a lot of people groups down is that he invests in them a very small vision of who they are and what they can do in God. So whenever you see people that excel and people that don't, more times than not, you can find whether or not they excel or whether or not they don't based on the vision that exists in their heart about who they are and what they can do for God. Some people, even when they come out of poverty, they have a big vision for what they can do in life. And they go after it. And they're the ones whose stories begin to, to, to encourage people that look where he started, look where he ended up. The difference was vision. So poverty, where I came from, or my father's house, has little bearing on what you become. 
but everything about what does your upbringing do about what you see if it affects the way you see if you see yourself as this is the best you can be guess what this is the best you can be but if you can look beyond now and say lord i see something greater for me i see something greater for my church i see something greater for the kingdom of god you will gravitate toward the greater thing the thing the enemy wants to put on the inside of us more times than not is to affect the imagination or the vision of our heart now this is jesus speaking in luke chapter 4 and verse 18 amen he says what the spirit of the lord is can somebody read that out loud uh-huh okay mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. and read it again one more time uh-huh yes mm-hmm 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 Mm-hmm. Amen. Now I want you to say, brother, that read that out. I want you to open to uh, Isaiah chapter 61. We want to see the scripture that Jesus was quoting. So just flip real quick. Isaiah 61. Same brother, read it. I want the same translation. Isaiah 61. From verse 1, yes. Because it's the same. It's the same. Uh-huh. question I have is this. What is the difference between what Isaiah wrote and what Jesus said? Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, Isaiah chapter 61. There is a difference. Heal the brokenhearted? Is the, is the brokenhearted in both? Brokenhearted is in both. What is different? Heal the brokenhearted is found in both. Something is found in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. That's not found in, a, in the book of Isaiah. To recovery of sight to the blind. So do you think that you, you begin to wonder, when Jesus spoke this scripture, he added something else, which was what? The recovery of sight to the blind. Now, he was reading from the book of Isaiah, but because he is the living word, he can edit it in, in, in real time. So the one thing that Christ included that Isaiah never wrote was the recovery of sight to the blind. Recovery of sight to the blind. Now notice this. Everything that Jesus is speaking is not just literal. It's both literal and and metaphoric, right? So when the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has sent me to preach the gospel to the poor, the good news to poor people, it's not just to those that are physically or economically poor, because others are wealthy in the natural, but poor in in, in, in the spirit right they've got nothing have you ever seen people that have everything that this world can bring but are empty from the stuff that heaven brings you know they speak of many instances where some individuals that were considered very very wealthy back in 2008 when the economy fell there was a billion a billionaire worth about nine nine or so billion dollars that lost half his wealth that means it, he came from nine to around four and a half and he committed suicide as a result of that he was still a billionaire but the fear of losing, here's what they say to the, some of the wealthiest people. They, they ask them, how much more do you need to make for you to feel secure? Do you know what all of them usually say? A little bit more. 
Because why? Super wealthy, they've got everything, but they're very nervous. You can be materially wealthy by the world standard and still be impoverished. So when Jesus was speaking about the good news to the poor, Zacchaeus was rich physically. But as far as spiritually was concerned, he was impoverished. And Jesus went to preach good news to him. That little guy that went up the tree, Zacchaeus, right? Wealthy. Matthew, the text collector. As a text collector, some of the wealthiest people in Jerusalem and in Israel at that time were text collectors because the government of Rome allowed them to collect as much as they wanted to keep for themselves. They were super wealthy. But Matthew, when he heard, follow me, and now, you know, he dropped everything he was doing in the natural because he recognized that being rich naturally is not enough. So there's a good news that comes to poor people. I preach amongst the poorest people in Africa, and, but I also preach amongst those that have stuff but are also poor. So when Jesus was saying, I'll preach the good news to the poor, he meant the poor physically and also the poor spiritually. Can we, can we agree that that's true? So when he says what? The, um, to set it, um, with, preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. He's not just talking about people in a physical jail. Because there are some people that are outside of a physical jail right now that are bound. Some of the most bound people I know have never been to prison. Are we okay? I've met people that are free, have never spent a day in jail. But they're bound by the spirit of fear. They're bound by the fear of death. They're in a constant panic, panic attack about this, anxiety attack about that. Life just seems to overwhelm them. So you can, pour, you can be here in this house right now and be in some demonic prison or another. So when Christ was proclaiming freedom to the prisoners, he wasn't saying open every jail. He was literally saying remove that which confines people because you can be free in the natural and still be a prisoner. I've met people, some of the most bound people I met, I met them in church. I didn't even meet them in the world. Pastor, when I was in Africa, even when I was in Connecticut, we were casting out demons in middle white America, amongst, you know, in, in, a, in, in a neighborhood called Pomfret. Pomfret has some of the best houses you've ever seen, old money. It's old money, New England. And still we were laying hands on, on people and casting out demons, free in the natural, bound in the supernatural, and still needing to be set free. So when Christ was saying this, it was more than just about the physical. He was also speaking about something that was happening in the realm of the invisible. Then he says the recovery of sight to the blind. Now, the one miracle that Christ performed over and over again, more than any other miracle, was not the raising of the dead. The one miracle recorded in scripture that Christ did over and over again was the healing of blind eyes. Luke chapter 18, we see Bartimaeus. Another rendering of the same incident lets us know there were two blind men. Amen. In the book of Mark chapter 8, we see a man that the Lord walks up to. He, he, he spits on the ground, makes mud with his spit, anoints the man's eyes, right? And then tell him, what do you see? And he says, I see men as trees walking. He says, not good enough. He, the only miracle that Christ had to perform twice to perfect was the recovery of sight to the blind. That's why I believe he added that in the scripture. Because it was metaphoric. It was not just physical. He was speaking about the enemy's ultimate trick to keep people bound. Is that he blinds them. He blinds them from the purpose that God has given them. How long has Jesus been you know, in the grave and resurrected? How long has salvation been made available to humankind? 2,000 straight years. But somebody today does not know that today their life can change forever. Why? Because Jesus has not yet died. No, he died 2,000 years ago. But how are they still bound? Why are people still dying and going to hell? 
Because the God of this world works in the principle of blindness. That's what he does. He conceals. Because what does blindness do? Blindness removes the power of distinction. If I turn off the lights in here, all this complexity, this beauty that is in here, wonderful people, smart people, you know, very capable people, with the lights off, everything looks exactly the same. It removes that distinction. It removes the unique giftedness. That's what the enemy does. His main trick against you is blindness. So some people groups, for example, whether it's in Africa, you know, we look at the, my continent and we say it's one of the poorest continents, you know, but do you know that Africa is also the, do you know which is the wealthiest country in the world? Does anybody know which is the wealthiest country in the world? What is it? It's what? South Africa, not quite, but you're close. It's what? Say it again. Not even. The wealthiest country in the world is the Democratic Republic of Congo. Because they've discovered, I'm talking about minerals that they've found, not projections. Minerals that they know are under the ground are worth about $24 trillion in U.S. dollars. Do you know which is also one of the poorest countries in the world? The Democratic Republic of Congo. Meaning the reality of their mineral wealth does not reflect up or, or above the ground. And the question becomes why. And I can tell you why I come from, from a people like that. It's blindness to potential. The enemy will blind you to who you are in God. If you will buy the vision the devil will give of you. You have set limits that even... When Jesus went to his hometown, look at this. Jesus the capable one. Jesus the living word, the living Torah. But when he got into Nazareth, his hometown, the Bible says he could not perform mighty miracles there. Because of what? They were blind to who he was. They thought he was Joseph and Mary's boy. They did not see that he was the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Their blindness cost them the miraculous. So here's what I'll tell you. What you see in the kingdom of God is most definitely what you get. So we get people that say, oh, I'm Indian, you know, you know, what, you know I'm, I'm in a foreign land. And then you refuse to sing the Lord's song in a foreign land. But you know, like the, 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 the Jews that were being taken to Babylon, what happened? When they got to the rivers of Babylon, they wrote in one of the Psalms, there we sat down and there we wept, for we remembered Zion. And those that were taking us captive, they asked us and said, sing one of the songs of Zion. And they said what? But how shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? That's why they were going into captivity. Because you know why? They don't understand. What if they began to sing the Lord's song in a strange land? What if they began to lift up Deva, Prasanna Me, Irangi, Vandidude? If they began to sing what? Deva Vithawe, Angenyan. Heaven may have come down. The Lord may have visited and their bondage may have been broken. But they could not see themselves breaking through. So they shut up when they should have sung. And they that were asking them to sing were asking them to invite their God into the presence of their situation. What if they began to sing? I've been to meetings where people were worshipping God and the glory of the Lord came down. How does the enemy win against a people group? Blindness. To who they are, to their potential. He gives them a small vision of themselves. And as long as your vision is small, even heaven cannot change your destiny. Are we okay? Yes or no? That's why it is absolutely necessary for you and I to say, Father, 
Open my eyes. Do you know what the Lord says about the end time church? You know the dilemma of the end time church? Let me show you in the book of Revelation, chapter 3. The last church age, according to the revelator, is the Laodicean church age. Are we together? The church of Laodicea. Revelation chapter 3 from verse 14. And the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. What is this? When you read about the seven churches in the book of Revelation, it was talking about seven distinct churches that were in Asia Minor. That is known. That there were seven churches that went by that name. But theologians have also realized that it was talking about seven church ages. There are epochs or there are dispensations of the church that each of the, is represented by each of the seven churches. And that's why even though it was written to these seven distinct churches, it was kept in the eternal word of God because the truth to be realized that if, if this is seven church ages, then the last church age, which is the church age you and I are a part of, will be the Laodicean ch- church age. Let's see what the Bible says. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, uh, write, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Next verse. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. Let's read on. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Let's go. You say I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. There is no church age that has ever claimed this level of prosperity than the present church age around the world. The, la- the, 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 the end time church is very wealthy by worldly means. There are churches that don't even preach the truth, that have got thousands of people that attend, that have got a bigger budget than some countries. Are we okay? So the last church age says, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, I do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you're wretched, you're pitiful, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. So the indictment against the last church age is, you think you are wealthy, but you don't even know that you are wretched, you're poor, you're blind. And you're naked. What does the Lord say to the last church age? Let's read on. And he says this. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. So you can become rich. The Lord is saying to the church age. Come to true wealth. Amen. True wealth is beyond just physical wealth. True wealth is when you know that you know that your children are blessed to be mighty in the land. To lift up the flag of the name of Jesus. True wealth is when you know that no matter the economy you will be fine. Because God is on your side. True wealth is when you are no longer dependent on the national army of the United States. You are dependent on the armies of heaven that march on your behalf. True wealth is when you know that you have full access to the treasury of heaven much more than anything that this world can supply. So now the Lord is counseling the end time church and he says, come to me that you might find gold refined in the fire. And what else? And become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and solve on your eyes so that you might see. Because this is a church that is blind but thinks it can see. Are we okay? Yes or no? Next verse. To those I love, I discipline, so be earnest and repent. The waters cover the sea. If I...
celebrate Christmas. First of all, there's not even a term Christmas in the Bible. It doesn't exist. But the church you know, feels persecuted. They won't let us say, you know, praise the Lord. This church does not know what persecution is. Persecution has not even started in the church in America. But you know, there are a lot of people right now bothered by simple little things. They are already exhausted by dealing with foot soldiers, not knowing that the horsemen are coming. So what am I saying? Is when your eyes see differently, you don't let silly things hold you down. You look at the potential right now. The darker it gets, the brighter we shine. Why are you afraid of it getting dark out there? Let it get dark. Do you know the most difficult time to drive? The most difficult time to drive is a twilight. What means what? When the sun is going down and it's too dark to see, but it's too light for your lights to mean anything. Anybody with, a, with a, the most difficult time to drive is, okay, it's getting a little too dark. I cannot see. But it's not dark enough for my headlights to be a factor. What is that? It's that lukewarm, that twilight, that neither here nor there time. So what does the Lord say? He says, arise and shine for your light has come. Why? A deep darkness shall cover the nations so that the Lord can cause you to arise. So what do I say? Turn the lights off. Why? So that the children of God can shine. Are we Okay. What do you see in Minnesota? Oh, you know, just me and my family, you know, we're just struggling. You are well kept. You can afford to go out and camp three days, spending the presence of God at the wonderful Lake Geneva. You're doing well. You're doing better than 99% of the world right now. But it doesn't matter if it's true. It matters if you see it. Why? Because when you see it, that's when you begin to say, Father, my life is worth more. My life is more meaning than what I've been doing right now. I'm not here just to exist, to take up space, to breathe air, and then to die. In the days of my life, Father, cause everything that you placed in me to give you glory. Every gift that you placed in me to give you glory. Every breath that I take, may it have impact for eternity. Use me, Father, greater than anybody has ever been used in my family. Use me, for, for some of our sisters, you have to say, use me greater than any woman has ever been used by God. I want my life to be consequential. Here's what they say. The average lifespan is about 2,800, maybe uh, 28,300 days or something like that. And each day that goes by, we are subtracting from that total. The question I have for you is this. What do you see with the years that remain? What do you desire to see? God help me. Because here's what I found out about God. It's not about where you are at the time he meets you. It's about where your eyes are at the place where he meets you. I'll give you a few examples. The angel of the Lord came to Gideon. Judges, I believe, around chapter 6. It says, the Lord is with you, mighty men of valor. And here is what shows me why God went to Gideon. Why did the Lord go to Gideon? Why not anybody else? Because even though Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press, his eyes were not in that place. His eyes were looking to see the salvation of the nation of Israel. So when the angel of the Lord shows up and says, the Lord is with you, mighty men of valor, he began to discuss where his eyes were. And he says, sir, if the Lord is with us, where are the mighty miracles the Lord told us, that our parents told us the Lord did? Why are my people taking flag from the Midianites? Why are we surrounded by our enemy? Where is this God that my Apachan told me about? Where is this God that my Amateur was telling me about? Where is this God we have heard talked about? What does he mean? He was looking at the salvation of Israel as a nation. And he did not see his present situation. Because the liberty of Israel was deep in his heart. In a wine press threshing wheat. 
But his eyes are out there for the glory of the salvation of Israel. That's why the Lord says, I will deliver Israel through you. Why? Because the Lord had found a man in Gideon's time that even though his present situation was the same as everybody else, his eyes were elsewhere. You can, get a, you can leave this camp with a burden for the kingdom of God. I always ask the youth when I talk to the youth, I, say, I tell them, pick a nation, pick a country right now that you will fall in love with. Well, Felix, you know, I, I, how do I fall in love with... You know how you fall in love with, 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 with the country? You find out about its people. What is the mark that people are falling in love? When you guys were falling in love, what? You ask each other questions back and forth, back and forth. Why? Because inquiry is a sign of love. When you don't inquire about the other person, you're not really interested. But when you're interested in them, you're constantly asking questions about, and what's your favorite color? And what's your favorite food? Do you like chore? Do you like biryani? You talk to each other about this stuff. Why? Because inquiry is a sign of, is the mark of love. So here's what I say. Fall in love with the country right now. Just begin to find out about these people. Find out about this history. Watch what the Lord will begin to do in your heart. You'll connect your heart to that people group then as he connects your heart to that people group, you begin to pray for them. And as you begin to pray for them, something supernatural begins to happen. How does it happen? The Lord begins to, to knit your destiny together with that destiny of that country. I, I challenge you right now, pick a country and look, fall in love with it. And then in five years, you'll be telling me, Felix, I got an invitation from the people of that country. I'd never met anybody from there. They invited me to go and speak there. It happens time and time again. Why? Because when your vision begins to be clear about something you want to achieve in God, the Lord makes it happen. Most people never achieve anything in life because they are waiting, waiting for the Lord to somehow know he is attracted to people with vision. You see, David was already, he was a shepherd, number eight in his father's house, but he cared about the well-being of Israel. How do I know David cared? Simple. Because one day David went to take supplies to his brothers who were fighting on the front line of Saul's army and Saul's war against the Philistines. He was not there as a soldier. He did not have a sword. He did not have armor. He was just there as a shepherd boy who loved Israel. So when he loved God and loved Israel, when he went to the front line, this is the difference between a kid with a vision and, a, and an army without a vision. When he went to the, to the front line, you know, he's taking supplies to his brother. Oh, you know, church, and, you know, there's some food and, and they're taking food and all of this. Now, all of a sudden, he heard a mighty warrior on the camp of the Philistines get up, stand on a hill, and begin to mock the armies of God. He was cursing them by the name of his gods. Cursing the nation of Israel. You can tamper with anything else with David. You don't tamper with the things he loves. Because you will start a war you cannot finish. He's a shepherd boy. He's a kid. He's not even a soldier. But he's in love with the nation of Israel. So what happens? When he heard this champion of the Philistines mock the people of God, he waited to see, is anybody else bothered by this? Nobody moved. He's looking at the king. Nothing. The king is hiding. The only sword in Israel, two swords in Israel, one on Saul, one on his son Jonathan. Nobody's moving. The army full of mighty men, which the Bible calls the Geber. Geber is a Hebrew term for mighty men of war. Not a single one moves. And here is a boy with a vision for his nation. He says, sir, can somebody shut this man up? Because if nobody shuts him up, let me do it. And they looked at him and said, you are a boy. 
And he says, oh, no, 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 no. He says, who is this uncircumcised, uncovenanted man that he can defy the armies of the covenanted people? We have a covenant with our God. He has no covenant. What gives him the right to defy the armies of us that are covenanted people? What is that? It's vision speaking. It's not his natural reality. His natural reality is number eight in his family. He's a kid. He's not a soldier. He's, he's not been trained. That's his reality. But his vision was far much greater. His vision was what? If it takes me and my God alone, we are a majority. The two of us can save our nation. Why? Because he never saw himself based on the way that he was. He always saw himself based on how amazing and powerful his God was. What's your vision? What do you see? Saul says, listen boy, you are a kid. This man has been a warrior since he was a kid. That means that for the, for the duration of your life, he's been fighting. For as old as you are alive, he's already been a soldier. He's way too experienced for you. What does David say? Experience doesn't matter. Why? My God is the ancient of days. My God is older than time itself. As long as I'm on his side, I have every experience I need. It's found in my God. And what, is, what does Saul say? Well, you know, um, um, okay, take my armor. He says, I haven't tried the armor. Too uncomfortable. He says, you can keep your armor, sir. What does he do? He goes to the riverside and picks up five stones. And then he comes back and does what? It's passion. You must understand. It's the love that he had for the nation. That gave him a vision of delivering that nation from a giant. The Bible says, I told you this last night. He prophesied to Goliath. What does David do? He prophesied. What does prophesy? He told Goliath exactly what was going to happen. He said to Goliath, you come at us in the names of your God. I come at you in the name of the Lord Most High, whose armies you have defied. Now let me give you a prophecy, my brother. Let me tell you the way this day is going to end. Before this day is over, I'm going to cut your head off and I'm going to feed your carcass to the birds of the air and to the jackals of the field. What is he doing? He's speaking the vision. Why? I can already see this is already done. It's done already. Why? That's the power of vision. Most people walk through life blind. They walk through life blind, hoping that something... Well, I'm just hoping, brother. You know, I'm just hoping, brother. I'm just hoping. Too much hoping. Amen. Well, you know, God, you know, sometimes it comes through, sometimes... But we're hoping, brother. We are hoping. Stortham. Because it's not the same unless you add a Stortham there. Malialis, right? So what does David say? David gets into his prophetic age and he says, man, the vision I have for Israel means that Israel will never be overcome by one man. You, sir, are too small to take these people out. These are covenanted people to God. God has a divine destiny for my country and my nation. So you, sir, are too small to stand against the intent of God. I am marrying myself. I am married to God's intent right now. I am yoked and partnered up with what God wants done. That's how this day is going to end. I'll be standing. You'll be down. So then what does the Bible say? He runs towards Goliath. Why is he running? The, the kid was running toward the giant. Why? Because he already considered it a done deal. It's a power of vision. Are we okay? He said, but you told us that yesterday. Yes, I'm telling you again today. Why? Because I found out that most ethnic groups, Latinos, African Americans sometimes, you know, that come in as an entity, one of the ways the enemy attacks is to keep your vision small. To think that you've arrived because you live in a suburb. To think that you've arrived because you drive a nice car. To think that you've arrived because you got your MBA. It's not enough. So what happens is that some of the most gifted people I know have no voice outside of their own community. Keep you small. Make you only good for the small little Indian group that you, you are part of that home group. 
But I'm here to tell you that your voice can be louder. Your voice can be heard in Africa. Your voice can be heard in the islands of the sea. Your voice can be heard throughout these United States of America. You have to have a greater vision, however. You have to see yourself beyond just local community. To say, God, you can use me in any capacity. For some of you, the Lord wants to use you. He's given you an idea for a book. You've been sitting on it for years. As if books write themselves. Great insight, wonderful person. You think with clarity. You are a conceptual thinker. And so maybe for you, coming out the gate, you just have to put it down. Pastor, I don't know if I'm talking to you. Where you have to put it in a book because God has given you wisdom and insight. That's my, that must outlive you. But instead, you go walking around in Barnes and Nobles to buy someone else's book. For others of us, the Lord can give you composition. For years, you've been singing someone else's songs. You have to wait for someone else to compose the song so you can sing it. Why can't you write a song? That can be heard on the islands of the sea. Oh, but I'm just an Indian, brother. You don't even know. You, know. you think it's good enough because I come from a place where we were blessed if we had a guitar. How many of you remember that in the old country? If you had a set of drums, David, and so, oh my goodness, wow. So here's what it is. I have found out that a lot of the times when I'm speaking into ethnic groups, they are looking for someone else to supply. Hill songs, give us a song. Bethel, give us a song. Elevation, give us a song. Can you give us song so we can sing? And I'm looking to say, but what about you? What do you get to contribute? And I'm finding out that entire groups of people have no vision to bless the body of Christ with something. But they will consume. We are consumers of other people's worship. Consumers of other people's gifts. Consumers of other people's contribution. And I'm here to challenge you, bread of life, that maybe some of this stuff must come from you. You say, Felix, I'm not a preacher. Who said you have to be a preacher? You can write. You say, but Felix, I, you know, I'm just a, well, you can blog. You can, you can do something. You know, you can have a podcast. I don't know what it is, but your effect and your power to influence. It, 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 from this place, you can touch the four corners of the world. But do you have that vision? I don't know. Are we okay? Am I taking too long? There must come a cry in our heart. That says, Father, do more with this life. Achieve more for the sake of the kingdom. Do more in this life. Do you know that the first people that ever invited me outside of the regular, the first group of Indians, I'm speaking, this is not just an international group, but the first group of Indians that ever invited me to speak were you guys. It was bread of life when you were still a fellowship. Back in Vargis Matai days. But can I tell you what had happened before you called me? Can I give you the back story? The back story was I was pastoring a church in Putnam. And in fact, Brother Jacob, your brother was my assistant pa pastor. Let me tell you what we did. We loaned our building to a, to a Pentecostal church, the Canadian-based Pentecostal church. If you guys know the Pentecostal Assemblies movement. It was a white American church in my town that wanted to do a conference. They wanted a building. They didn't want, want to do a conference in their own building. So we gave them our building, where you've come to before, we gave them a week to spend there. It was on a Wednesday in the middle of the week when I say to Abraham, can we go and check to see if those people have the things they need, supplies that they need. Abraham and I went to that building that day. And when we got there, I don't even know if he, Abraham remembers this. When we got to the church, these white Americans were all surrounding the pulpit. And they saw us and they said, brothers, can you come and help us pray? We're praying for the nation of India. So I said, oh, okay. My brother is Indian. <laughs> I'm with Abraham John, you know, Jacob's brother. So we went there and joined the circle. And here's what happened to me, Pastor. As soon as I touched hands with this group of intercessors, I felt like I got punched in the stomach and I began to cry. I began to cry not quietly. 
But that's the day I fell in love with India. I fell in love so powerfully, I began to weep over the nation. And when I was, I started crying out loud, the old Pentecostals knew what was happening. Because in old school Pentecost, there's something that used to be called travail. Do you know what travail means? It means when the spirit of travail comes in, the Lord is birthing a ministry through you. There's a pain associated. There's a push associated. There's a love associated. I felt that deep in my soul. I began to cry. Like I cried harder for India than I've ever cried for Africa, than I've ever cried for Zimbabwe. And I'm crying and I'm losing my voice. I thought I was losing my mind. These brothers and sisters were all around me and they were encouraging me, push, push push and i was screaming on top of my voice ah, crying on top of my voice went on for an hour and a half when i walked away that day something had happened to my heart in regards to a people i'd never really known the lord had taken them from outside and had placed them deep within my heart i'm telling you right now that vision is born here then it changes the way you see here you begin to see value where you may not have seen value before. You begin to see worth where you had not seen worth before. You begin to see potential where you had not seen potential before. From that day, it was a number of months where I handed over the church to Abraham. I moved to Columbus, Ohio. I did not know what I was going to do because the Lord told me, wait until I send you to speak to the churches. I had no contacts. Nobody knew who I was. Nobody knew to find me. I had nothing. I, stu- I, I was in Columbus, Ohio for almost six months, waiting for it. said, Father, you said you were going to send me to the churches, but nobody's calling. But while I was there, something had happened in my heart. I keep on praying in the city for a people I did not know. And it was when I remember in Columbus, Ohio, I'm watching my bank account. My savings are coming down. I'm about to have nothing left. I have to move from where I am. And the phone call came. And the phone call was Thomas Panica. And you had given him my details and my number, Jacob. And Thomas says, uh, you know, uh, Brother Felix here, uh, we are a little fellowship in Minnesota. Um, you know, uh, you know uh, and we're wondering, can you come and speak for us over a weekend? That's the time that I first met you, Mahesh. I came over that weekend, Friday, Saturday. Do you know that the first group, before the Lord sent me to any other group, this was the first group that I came to. So while I was speaking that weekend here, Rajan Matai was here. Brother Varghese Matai's brother, and he was attending Pastor Bethel P. Jacob's church in Dallas. So he went and told Pastor Bethel P. Jacob, I don't know, you know, he went, while he was fasting and praying for his conference, I met a young man I think you want to invite to your conference. Pastor Bethel P., anybody that knows you, Pastor Bethel, very strict. He doesn't allow anybody to come on his pulpit unless he knows that, you know, who you are. I get a phone call from Pastor Bethel P., and he says, listen, man, son, I'm seeking the Lord, I'm fasting and praying, and the Lord told me you need to come to my conference to preach. And you know what I did when he first called? I hung up on him. Click. Why? I was not interested in going anywhere the Lord was not sending me. I didn't want to do it if God was not in it. So I hung up on the man. And I waited another week. He called me a week later. He said, son, I, 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 I know <laughs> that you are ignoring me. But I'm telling you, I heard from God. You need to come and preach for me at my conference. That's when I knew he was serious. I went to Dallas to preach for him there. We, I ended up preaching nine times in a matter of three or four days. The power of God was amazing. We had a wonderful experience. And from there, some members of ICPF were there. So I, the next thing I got is an invitation from my CPF. And for the last 13 to 14 years, I've been traveling throughout the entire Indian you know, uh, community here in the United States, preaching, and I've seen God move. I remember, Pastor, when everywhere I went, I had to help lead worship because we did not have enough musicians. They were never, so what we began to do, I began to pray with some of my brothers in ICP, Father, raise up musicians. Why? Because I saw that 
It's a possibility that these youngsters can rise up and become great worshipers. But nobody was doing anything. Very few were involved in worship. So we began to pray. We began to pray. We began to pray. Until right now, if I go to any of those meetings, I never have to get on stage. Because some of the best worshipers I know are Indian young worshipers that can play hill songs better than hill songs. Where did that all come from? The tale of the tape is this. One day the Lord took a nation, put it in my heart, changed my perception of that group of people. And the Lord began to show me their potential. And as I preached into their potential, I've watched God do phenomenal things. You go to PC Neck and they can assemble 20 bands if they wanted to. Each of them sounding as professional as the one before. You go to any of the ICPF camps, you got five bands present with every instrument represented by some of the best musicians and singers you've ever heard. All within a community of people that's something here to shift in their perception before the breakthrough could come. I'm here to ask you a question. What do you see? When you look at your children, what do you see? Do you see preachers? Do you see authors? Do you see worshipers? Do you see amazing men and women of God that can do some, you know, earth-shaking things? When you look at yourselves, what do you see? Oh, my brother, I come from a Hindu background. Good. May the Lord use you to, be, uh, to, to bring in uh, multitudes from within that camp. Oh, my brother, nobody in my family was saved. I'm the first to get into, to, to speak in tongues. I'm the first to be baptized. Some of you, if you have not been baptized, please. You know, Reggie was nice. He says, we don't, for, I'm forcing you. Be baptized before you leave. Why? Why would you have one leg in, one leg out? Both legs in. Why? Because God wants to do phenomenal things through you. There's no time to waste. Today, make the decision. Go for God. Watch what God will do. So what am I sharing with you? I'm sharing that when love, what is the secret? Maybe you may ask me, Felix. I always see what's wrong with people. There are some people here, I don't want to say who you, you know, you look at yourself. You always seem to be aware of everything that is wrong with people. Ah, that one talks too much. Ah, that one is like this. Ah, that one thinks they're so special. Ah, you have this profound perception of people's shortcomings. Stop it. Okay, it ends this week because some people can do 99 things right, but you remember the one thing that they did wrong. Yeah, you know, it was nice at that camp, you know, but ah, that preaching went too long. Ah, that African, he just couldn't stop sweating. I couldn't, I just, I, 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 he had a towel and everything, but as soon as he wipes, it's like a sprinkler system. Ah, it was nice, you know, ah, but the kids running around and those songs, are, we sing them every year. <laughs> are you okay? Do you know the secret to changing your perception? It's actually a very simple principle. It's this principle of love. I want to, sh- in the next five minutes and then I'm going to sit down, I want to share with you the secret to changing your sight or the secret to receiving supernatural sight. Four letter word. L O V E. Love. That's it. Have you ever seen a kid and you're like, ha, ah, this one, this one is gonna be trouble. But mom and dad thinks they're special. Mom and dad thinks that kid can walk on water. And nobody else may think that kid is special except mom and dad. You know why? Because love makes you see differently. Are we okay? In the book of John, chapter 16, 17, particularly around chapter 17, the Lord Jesus Christ begins to share about the love he had for his disciples. When I read that, how he prayed for his disciples, 
I finally understood why. When he looked at Peter, everybody else saw Simon. Do you know what Simon means? Simon means a reed, unstable. You know a reed, like those reeds that are at the water level, they dance with the water, they're not stable, right? Everybody else saw Simon, but Jesus saw Peter. What does Peter mean? It means a rock. How could Jesus see a rock in the midst of the least stable disciple? It's called the power of love. Love sees differently. Remember I told you that we're going to be talking as if we're talking to leadership. Let me tell you the secret to leadership. Because everything I'm talking about, vision is a, pro, pro, it's a province of leadership. When you're a leader, you have got to be able to see where you're going. You've got to be able to share with those around you that there's a greater place where we need to go to. And I'm now telling you the key to unlocking profound vision is the power of love. Because when you love, then even the state of the world does not bother you but that which you can do to change it. For God so loved the world that he gave the key to the world's salvation, that he gave his only begotten son. The Lord did not look at the sin and say, oh, this is too much, I cannot do this. He looked at the world in its sin, but he saw the love he had for the people in Africa, in India, in the United States. So he gave his only beloved son, his only begotten son. The power of love makes you see potential when nobody else sees it. How do you know when you're beginning to fail in love with people, even with your church? You become highly critical. Everything you do is critically. Ah, ah, you know this, and ah, you know this is because the loss of love begins to highlight the eye that sees the negative. But when love is in your heart, you always see potential. The Lord came to Peter and Andrew. And do you know that the day Jesus called Peter, you already knew Peter was going to deny him someday. But what did the Lord do? He kept love is what love covers it does not keep a record of wrong love believes all things love what it, it, it rejoices in truth love what love never fails Do you know what never fails means it means love never quits that means that he would never quit on peter he knew i'll never quit on him i love him so he called him in knowing one day you will deny me son but don't even worry about it i've already even though looking at you i can tell you're going to look at me and say i've never known you but my boy, I can also see you becoming an amazing preacher. I can also see you preaching the first sermon where 3,000 will get saved. I can also see you preach again and 5,000 get saved. And I can also see you choosing to be crucified upside down because you do not want to be crucified the same way as I. I see your potential, not your present shortcoming. Love. When Jesus said to Peter, let me show you the little secret here. Jesus said to Peter, what? Simon, Simon, the devil has desired to what? Sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you. This is before the trial of Peter, the trial that caused him to deny Jesus, right? The Lord says the devil has asked to expose you. He wants to expose how weak you are. But my boy, I have prayed for you. So that what? So that your faith may be strong. Why? What is the sign of strong faith? Never failing? No. What is the sign of strong faith? Failing? getting up again bouncing back I'm to say you're going to deny me now when he said that to Peter what did Peter say Lord me I will never deny you I'm going to die for you he says no in fact let me tell you this before the rooster crows once you will have denied me how many times three times okay now watch this now what Christ was dealing with Peter Ah, Jesus was exposing the quality of Peter's love. Are we together? When Jesus got arrested, all the disciples scattered and they ran away. 
Peter ran and then stopped. Everybody else kept on going. But at least he came back at a distance. And he's looking. Then he got a little cold because it was a chilly night. So he went and he sat by a fire. I want you to see something, please. I need you to hear me. And, and when he was at a fire, it wasn't a soldier that approached him. It was a servant girl. That means that she could have been 12 to 14 years old. And she came to him and says, Sir, weren't you one of his disciples? What does Peter say? One of whose disciples? That guy they just arrested, that Jesus guy. What does Peter say? Oh, him, I've never heard of him. I've never seen him before. Sir, are you sure you were not one of his disciples? He says, I don't know the man. He's looking at Jesus. I don't know the man. I've never seen him before. Three times he was asked. Three times he says what? The Bible says in the book of Luke, he began to curse. That means he didn't say it in a very nice way. I don't know this blinking guy. I've never met the blinking guy. Why are you saying that? To me? He's cursing up a storm. And then the rooster crows. Now watch what happens. Peter is so heartbroken, right? He goes back to his old job, which is what? He goes back to fishing. And then he tells other disciples, listen, I'm going fishing. They go back fishing. Jesus goes all the way to the cross by himself, surrounded by one disciple who was only mentioned was Joseph of Arimathea, the one who loaned him his grave, and then his mother and the two Marys. Those were the only people that were by his side. Everybody else ran away. So Jesus goes to the cross. He's buried by Joseph of Arimathea, comes back from the grave. The first thing that Jesus does, listen to me, the first thing that Christ does was what? Go back looking for Peter. So he hears that, ah, they're fishing again. So he goes fishing, and it's early in the morning. He makes breakfast, amazing fish curry. It's looking nice, smelling good. Spices are just right. So he goes and he says, hey, children, how's the fishing? And they said, oh, we've been working all night, but we caught nothing. He says, why don't you throw your nets on the other side? When he said that, that's when the disciples knew, "Mm, that must be the Lord. So Peter, then they drag and they catch a lot of fish. Peter jumps out. He takes off his cloak, jumps into the water. And by the time he comes to shore, Jesus is already out there. Breakfast is ready. I'm sure Peter is feeling ashamed. I'm still talking about love, but I need you to hear me. I want to show you the cure to bad sight. Most of us, when when your heart is not filled with love, your eyes are bad. Are we okay? The key to the opening of your eyes is love. The Lord Jesus Christ cooks for Peter and then asks him a question. Simon, yes, yes, Lord. Do you love me? He didn't say, were you afraid? He didn't say, why did you deny me? He didn't say, why did you run away? Because none of that had to do with fear. It had everything to do with the quality of his love. Do you know why? Before, because perfect love casts out fear. Okay? Because for some of you, here's where the problem is. You know, can you share the gospel with, ah, I, don't, I can't speak in front of people. What is that? It's fear. Is it really fear? No, it's what your love needs to be worked on. Because why? You are more concerned about preserving your image than about embarrassing yourself by doing something or something wrong. Your, your image is more important to you. But guess what happens when you love? Your image doesn't matter. You will get up there, make a mistake, people will laugh. It doesn't matter. Why? Because love overrides fear. Okay, that's why the Lord never talked to Peter about his fear. Never said, were you afraid? Never said, did you feel scared? Never even talked about it. He only asked one question. Simon, do you love me? Now watch this. What does Simon say? Ah, Lord, um, Lord, you know I do. The Lord didn't say, well, then why did you deny me? Why did you do? No, he didn't talk about it. What's the next thing he says? Feed my sheep. Why? 
Because I don't need you to sing a song to tell me you love me. Keep your song. Love what I love. Meaning what? Take care of my people. That means when you look at my people, what? Love them like I love them. And we are good. The Lord Jesus Christ asked him a second question. They're eating now. Amen. And now they, they, they're doing that. What's that rice thingy? The one with the, with the rice flour? It's kind of puffy. Ah, oh, I love it. Anyway, they're, they're eating, right? And then the Lord asks him again, Simon, did he say, were you afraid? He says, how was that? No, never discuss fear, never discuss being, le- no. He says, do you love me? What is the word love that the Lord is using? Agape. He's saying what? Do you love me fully? Do you love me by divine enabled love? Agape is the kind of love that only the Holy Spirit can give. The world doesn't know agape. Do you know that? Nobody in the world loves unconditionally. They don't understand unconditional love. That is only found in God. Now watch this. Do you agape me? And, and, and Peter re- re- replies. This is all in John 21, by the way. And he says, ah, Lord, you know, I phileo. Phileo means what? I love you like a brother. And the Lord Jesus Christ said, feed my lambs. is the little ones. Take care of the little ones. Okay. The third time, Simon, do you love me? And this time, he's heartbroken. Lord, Lord, only you know. And he said, feed my sheep. Now watch this, though. What was the Lord doing? The Lord wanted Peter to know that you have not yet been perfected in love. That's why you ran away. So that's why he was asking me, do you have agape? And three times Peter says, I don't. I have phileo. I have brotherly love. I have not yet got agape. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ says what? Now stay in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. For you shall receive power after what? The Holy Ghost has come upon you. Why did they have to stay in Jerusalem? Because they had not yet been perfected in love. How do I know? Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. By who? By the Holy Spirit. The job of the Holy Spirit is not to give you tongues. The job of the Holy Spirit is to put the love of God in your heart. Why? Because when love enters your heart, your eyes change. You see it differently. So now they get baptized in the Holy Spirit. We come to the book of Acts chapter 3 and chapter 4. They are walking into the temple. They pass by the gate called beautiful. They see a man there who says, can you please help me with money? How long has that man been, been at the gate called beautiful? From his youth. Meaning what? For years he was there. How come they had never talked to him? They couldn't see him. Why? Because love had not yet entered their heart. They marched through that same gate where the same man was placed daily at the gate. They couldn't see him. Why? Because they had not yet been perfected. Look at what happened when the Holy Ghost came down. When the Holy Ghost came down, the first thing he touched was their sight. One day they walk in and say, Hey, you know, brother, how are you, man? I'm okay. Can, uh, do you guys have any money for me? Ah, silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, I give unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. The question becomes, uh, you, they may have asked, how long have you been here? You would have said what? Every day? What do you mean every day? Every day since I was young. I've never seen you before. The men may have said, You walked by me every day since I was young. I know you guys. But not once did you ever stop until the Holy Ghost came. Why? Because the Holy Ghost touches your heart, your eyes open. Now you're seeing people you used to ignore. People used to walk right past them. Ah, 
You know, I don't want to delay. I have got to run to church. Now you're concerned about them. Now you're saying, brother, is there something I can do? Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up, my brother, and walk. You too can walk. What has happened? I don't know. My eyes are different. Why? I see different. Why? Because I've got love in my heart. Two minutes and we're done. Your co-workers right now, do you know that including the person you don't like at work the most, the one who irritates you? Everybody has one of those. And when you work, you work long enough, there's always that person. I pray that you may begin to say, Father, put love in my heart for them and watch how quickly your eyes will change. You'll begin to look and watch what happens. Let me tell you a little secret. Watch what begins to happen. The minute you see them differently, they'll begin to see you differently. For some of you, people don't ask your opinion even though you have the wisdom that can help them because you are, your, your view toward those people is already a little off because you, ah, maybe they irritated you, maybe they said something or maybe you think they're lazy, maybe they don't pull their own weight but because of your perception of them, their perception of you has now changed. The Bible says when a man's way is pleasing to God, he causes even his enemies to live at peace with you. You'll find your enemies will approach you and say, my, hesh, my brother, can you help me do this? And you're like, why are you coming to me now? Because secretly in the invisible realm, your heart toward them has changed. The secret to leadership and influence is love. Because love will always make you see differently. Ah, God help me. David, in the cave in Adullam. What does the Bible say? David when he ran away from Saul, he went to a cave in Adullam and his brother and his father came to him in that cave. And then he says, and everyone that was broke in despair and discontented all gathered around him and he became captain over them. I can imagine David, if, it were, if he was a modern day guy, he would have said, Lord, why are you sending me these losers? Lord, why is it that you're only sending to me people that are dysfunctional? Why can't you send me the capable people? Why can't you say, Lord, look at the people you are sending me. Everyone who's broke. Everybody who's in despair. Everybody who's unhappy. Why am I captain over these losers? Because here's what, though. You see, David was a man after God's own. What does that mean? It means that his heart was like the heart of God. It means what? That there was love in the heart of David. So when he saw a broke man, listen, when you see a person who is in debt, you got one or two ways to see them. You can see them as being, ah, they're just so irresponsible. You know? Don't use money you don't have. You're irresponsible. But how does a person with love see that their desire is greater than their supply? They have great potential. They, they, they overspend their means because their vision is greater than their supply. That's why they're in debt. Walk with me, my brother. I'll show you how to become, how to match your vision with your supply if you walk with me. What does that mean? In every one of these guys, there's another way to look at them. But the eyes of love only show you that. What happens when a man is discontented? Discontented means what? It means that they are not content with where they are. It, it, why? The only way you can be content with where you are is if you think this is all there is. 
You understand? When you know there can be more, when you know there can be better, when you know there can be greater, then you are not comfortable with the present. Why? Because you can say this is not the best. Living in a cave is not the best. We can do better. We can do more. What was, these were men of potentially great vision that had been misunderstood by the world until they came to Captain David who saw them differently. And he says, you know what? You're broke. You're in despair. You're discontented. I see a mighty man in you. I see you differently. What about distress? It means that they are internally agitated. One of the most difficult things is to work with satisfied people. Satisfied people don't want to pray all night. Satisfied people don't want to worship for more than 10 minutes. Satisfied people don't want to ever fast. Why? I'm satisfied. Why do I have to fast? It's just hard work. It's hard work. No. But when you get a person in distress, pastor, they will put calluses on their knees talking to God. They will fast for seven days and seven nights, 21 days, 40 days. Why? Because they know there's more. When these men came to David, Saul says, I don't want them. Because when you read 1 Samuel 13, from around verse 50 something, it says about King Saul, Every capable man who was a man of valor that Saul saw, he added them to his army. He was looking for those that are already amazing. David said, give me the broke. Give me the discontented. Give me the in debt. And I will see, between God and I, we'll see differently. Then this is the, the end of the story was what? These men began to be known as what? The mighty men. How mighty? They were mightier than David ever was. He says David killed a lion and a bear. One of his mighty men jumped into a pit on a snowy day to kill a lion. He's walking around and there's a lion in the pit. It's snowing. Oh, it's snowing just like it does in Minneapolis. There's a lion in a pit. Ah, I've got some time to kill. I might as well jump in there and just kill it. Bro, what's the matter with you? I've got so much potential, man. Where was all this potential when you were broke? I had a wrong leader. He didn't see the best in me. But when I've been walking with this son of Jesse, I think I can do all things. I feel I can do this. Jumps into a pit, kills a lion on a snowy day for free. Why? Just because it was Tuesday. What happens? Shama stands in the middle of a lentil field as the Philistines are attacking. And he defends a field of beans. He wasn't defending babies. Beans, lentils. How many of you have had a good helping of lentils? Amen. You have to avoid your spouse for two days. Why? You know, but anyway, you know, beans. Why are you fighting for beans? I feel capable, man. Where was this when you were broke in despair and discontented? I had a low opinion of myself until I came again and I was united with a man of God who looked at me and he saw more in me than I'd ever seen in myself. He expanded my vision of myself. I don't need a military unit to help me fight. Me, my sword, my God, he planted himself in the middle of a field and he defended that field until the Bible says the sword was embedded in his hands. Meaning you have to surgically remove the sword from him. That's how much he fought. What happened to that broke despair? He came against upon a leader that saw him differently. Mighty men. Other three mighty men. David, I told you the story yesterday. David was in a cave and he says, Oh, I long for a drink of water from the well in Bethlehem. There was a Philistine army guarding that well. Three men looked at each other. Come on, you guys. You two. Work with me. Amen. Three men looked at each other and said, What? What are you guys doing right now? You know, um, yeah, you know, the Rams are not playing good. You know, they, they're kind of lousy right now. So we got some time to kill. What are we going to do? Let's, let, let's go and get David 
a glass of water. Where is he? Ah, it's in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is guarded by an entire Philistine's army. Are you guys up to the task? Yeah, let's go do it. They go, the Bible says they broke through the Philistine's garrison. What does that mean? They went in there fighting three guys against a military unit. For what? For a glass of water. Glass. Not a bucket, a glass. Amen. Whoop. Thank you. Fight all their way back. And they come back to David and say, Sir, yeah, you were thirsty for water from Bethlehem? Here it is. And David says, Come on, guys, what happened? Sir, we were losers and we were nobodies, but when we came and we walked with you, the way you looked at us changed the way we looked at ourselves. Now we don't see any impossibility. We think we are equal to any task. Why? Because we came upon a leader who loved us and changed our perception because of his view toward us. Thank you, guys. So what am I saying? I'm saying that the key to great leadership is vision, but the key to vision is love. There are some teachers that students get in front of them and they'll say this, all of you are going to fail. How many of you have ever had that teacher in India? Amen. All of you are going to fail, all of you. And then when 75% of the class fails, I told you. (laughs) And there are some teachers that say this, if you're going to be a student of mine, I don't get a single failure in my class. You will all pass because I don't do failure. I had a teacher like that, a geography teacher called Miss Barnes who looked at our class and says, I don't do failure. If you're my student. Now notice this, the final exam, which is the ordinary level, India used to do that years ago. Used to do advanced level and ordinary level. Old British system. We kept that in Zimbabwe. We still do that today. That test is not set in Zimbabwe. It's set at Cambridge University in England. So she has to prepare a class for a test she does not set. The test is sent in a sealed package from Cambridge University. But she used to look at her class and says, you will all pass. If you're my student, I don't do failure. Guess what? She had a 99.9% pass rate. All of us in there at our advanced level, A level, we all passed the geography class. Why? She saw us differently. Another teacher said, you're all going to fail. And we all did. (laughs) What do you see? Look at your child, your child. Some of you have, you know, two kids. One does very well. The other one, eh, you're a little concerned. Nah, speak. Say, you know what? You are going to do amazingly well. I see nothing but God doing wonderful things through you. Vision is the key to a powerful outcome, but the key to vision is always, it's always love. So because I love, I, you know, um, this amazing, amazing, amazing Bread of Life Church, here's what I foresee. Can I tell you what I see? I see at least three campuses. But that's just me. I see three campuses. Why? Ah, because wherever there's a group of people that are clusters, we're going to put a campus there. And we're going to have another campus there. We're gonna, we're not, I see a group that does not act satisfied because you got to this level. Because you bought a little building. It's cute. It's little. Hey, I'm just being honest now. Amen. It's cute, but it's little. Why? You've already almost maxed it. So what happens? If your church was to double next week, you'll be in trouble. Why? You'll have nowhere to put people. So what does that mean? Vision grows, expands. Campus 1, campus 2, campus 3, maybe eventually campus 4, campus 5. Why? Because it's Minnesota and you can do whatever you want. Is that possible, brother? 
Or who will be preaching in any of those? Who will be doing the satellite thing? Maybe, maybe Pastor will be preaching here and you'll be beaming everywhere. Or maybe men of God will be walking from campus to campus just making sure everybody's okay because we've raised up preachers that know how to give the word of God with power. Some of you, your Christianity has become stagnant because you have not challenged yourself to do... You've been in the same place for years now. That's why church things are beginning to be not fun anymore. Because you're too used to this level. So what am I saying? Expand your vision. God is not done yet. Don't be like people that arrive at base camp. Do you know what happens when you climb Mount Kilimanjaro, Mount Mount Everest? To get to base camp, it takes a lot. You climb for days, you climb for this, and you're like, oh, I'm tired. That's just base camp. You haven't even started up the mountain yet. So some people just get to base camp and they're like, ah, that's it, you know. Ah, we're just going to camp here. We don't know. That's base camp. Look up. Any mountaintop you think you've arrived in, God, the only reason why you think you're on a mountaintop is because you haven't looked up. Because when you look up, guess what you see? I thought this was it. No. (laughs) What is it? Base camp. Let's all stand, please. What else do you see, Felix? Can I show you, can I tell you what my love sees? I see books. Books from whom? From, from one of us, two of us, three of us. I'm not much of a preacher, but maybe you're a good writer. Write. I don't have time to write. Get a ghostwriter. <laughs> what else do you see? Women's ministry? Why? One of your sisters is anointing lends upon you to speak to sisters. And you start a women's ministry that's national, it's global. It's God using you to empower other women to be mighty women of God. What do you see? Global intercessory ministry? What? Those of you that know how to fast and pray and how to pray for nations. Begin a ministry going that is focused on teaching others how to intercede and how to unlock the power of true intercessory prayer. What else do I see? A new song. Born out of bread of life. A song that brings you into the presence of God, not because you bought a CD from Elevation, but because a song was born in the house from seeking after the face of God. When you sought the Lord and he gave you a song. It's sung in the church, but now you can give it to others and others can be as blessed as you are. What else do you see? I see ministry all over here, man. I see us getting people coming in from Hinduism, coming in from all these other belief systems, coming in by the hundreds and the thousands into the faith because of the ministry of wonderful men and women of God. You're not here to do IT. IT is just a side job. You're here to serve the kingdom of God. That's why you were strategically placed in one of the most strategic cities in this nation. Are we okay? What else do you see? Youth ministry. I'm talking about profound youth ministry where young people will gather. Samuel, it could be you, man. No pressure, dude, but you never know. The Lord could raise you to be a voice for your generation. Some of you youngsters, the young ladies, to, to just to, no, we, we, we need to get a youth pastor from elsewhere. No, I, I kind of think that the youth pastor may already be here. Raised in the house. Homegrown. Are we Okay. But it doesn't matter what I see if you don't see the vision as well. But if you and I can see it together, in our lifetimes, the Lord will perform it. If you're here right now and you say, Father, touch my heart and open my eyes. If that's your prayer right now, lift up your hands. 
I'm going to pray because the love I'm talking about is not love you can give yourself. Only the Holy Ghost can give you that love. That love will give you new purpose. It will wake you up in the morning. It will keep you alive. Lift those hands high and say, Father, right now, touch my heart and open my eyes. Touch my heart, my Lord, and open my eyes. Touch my heart, my Lord Jesus, and open my eyes. Oh, for some of you, you thought ministry was over. You thought the best days were in the past. Are you kidding me? You haven't even started yet. Come on now. Let's talk to the Lord. There's a re-energizing, a renewal of vision right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Come on. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Rebirth, Lord. And Sabagumai Arienita Arienita Dave Arienita Dave Arienita Dave Arienita here I am, O oh Lord. 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 Here I am. I pray that you may have a blessed day today. For tonight, there's a way we can make it possible. Um, can, if, is, can we get a bottle of oil from somewhere? Amen. What I know about what we're talking about is that there's some things that are supernaturally activated. Amen. For tonight, I, I want to pray for those that want to, the leadership mantle to come upon you. Leadership mantle doesn't mean you have a position in the church or you sit in the committee. It just means that wherever you are, at your workplace, in your family, in your neighborhood, you step up to let the Lord shine his light through you. There is an anointing that is available for those that want to walk in the dimension of leadership to do 